Thanks for sharing. And so is a great story. Welcome to the Kiwi Foodcast, the show where we sit down with chefs, food businesses, food writers and more to share the stories behind the food they serve. I'm your host, Persan Patel, and this show is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Let's dig in, everyone. Welcome, everyone, to the Kiwi Foodcast. Today on the show, we have Croydon of Smoking Cold Barbecue. Croydon knows a thing or two about good food cooked well. He's worked in the Auckland food industry for over 10 years and has spent many of those years also on super yachts cooking for the rich and famous. Today, we chat to him about barbecued food, how the Auckland food scene has evolved over the years and what it's like to cook for Sir Richard Branson. Having worked for more than 10 years in the Auckland food industry, let's welcome Croydon Cole to the Kiwi Foodcast. Hi Croydon, how are you? Good, thank you, Persan. Um, beautiful day out there today. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, just had a busy day at work, but um, keen to get into having some fun conversations about food and leave work behind. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So, Croydon, let's get right into it. Can you tell me um, a little bit about your childhood? Has food always been a feature? Um, any early food memories you can share with us? Uh, yes, person, very much so. Um, I was lucky enough to grow up in Melbourne, um, born in New Zealand, just to make sure that it's clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> grew up in Melbourne, um, so early memories are Victoria Market, uh, having bratwurst sausages and mushroom pizza on a Saturday morning whilst going to get fresh vegetables and um Various deli things and all that from uh, from um, yeah from a very young age from about seven seven I guess. Um, wow, yeah. mushroom pizza has pretty evolved for the childhood palate. <laughs> yeah, as our bratwurst with mustard and sauerkraut, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, did you always want to be a chef? Um, no, it's nothing that I ever thought about doing as a as a as a career. Um, it was something that. Um, mm. I guess we, oh, as a as a child or as a kid, um, we were required to help in the kitchen around the house, and one of those ways was to cook a meal. So I was taught quite early mm. from um, from my parents um, how to how to make bolognese or a roast or any of that kind of thing. Um, mm. So it was just something that, yeah, uh, over the years um, evolved. And just something that I was actually quite good at. And um, okay. when I started flatting, that was when I was like, because like, I, I really don't like cleaning up. <laughs> um, <it> was, <laughs> so it was if you a, cook, you don't need to clean up. You can make up a deal. Exactly. It was a good payoff. So uh, my mm. mates, uh, I got to experiment on them <laughs> um, and not clean. But um, it was just something that I kind of, I was good at and pursued later on in life. And so why, um, I mean, when did you decide to train as a chef? Could you tell me a little bit about, you know, what it was like to study to be a chef back in those days? Uh, well, I um, I didn't go down the traditional route. I didn't go to um, culinary school. I uh, started washing dishes at about, I'm going to be there, 18, down at um, Chin Chin on Key. Okay. Um, yeah, so I did that. I, I worked my way through from being a, a dish a dishwasher, and then um, to be honest, I, I didn't really have the 
Oh, what's the word? <laughs> I wasn't committed, I guess, back then. Um, I was working late nights. Um, and I gave it up for a couple of years. So I did that for about two years, you know, thought I'd get into it, but I uh, left it behind. And um, mm. I actually got back into chefing uh, when I was 22. Um, decided that what I was doing as a job, even though it was well paid at the airport, it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I thought I'd give it one more shot. And that was 25 years ago, and uh, I haven't looked back. Um, for me, it was I wanted to succeed. I didn't want to go to, back to a, a training kind of school environment. It wasn't something that suited me when I was there to begin with. Um, mm. So I just applied myself. Um, I wanted to be a chef. Um, yeah, I went back. I was 22. Started washing dishes for like $6 an hour. <laughs> I think it was. Yeah. Um, back then. Yeah, I started at Burger King at $6. And now I'm just amazed that the minimum wage is like 18 And I'm just like, what? Why was I working for like $6 an hour? <laughs> I know. it's. Uh, but I must say that we got a lot more for our $6 than they do for their 18 <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that wasn't something yeah. I, I, I actively kind of thought about when I was young, that I was going to be a chef. I was just... Mm. It was a job to get by amongst other jobs when I was younger, like from my teens into my 20, early 20s. Yep. And then um, then I discovered that I was actually pretty good at it. <laughs> and I uh, was yeah. lucky enough to work with, with uh, people who were willing to share their knowledge with me. And that's when I really yeah. fell in love with the whole idea of it. And Yeah. Years but I think that's the way to really learn cooking anyways, right? Like, I mean, I know there's all these amazing courses and stuff out there, but traditionally that's always been the way you learn like no matter even if you have studied at a culinary school you do still have to start out with washing the dishes and doing the prep because that's the you need to do those hard yards before you get to do all the fancy stuff in the kitchen well you know cooking is something that you either love and want to do and you know that you have a, a passion for or um, yeah it's just too hard you know I've, I've seen a lot of people come and go and um, who enjoy it for a while, but it's not something they could do forever and ever. And it still surprises me that I'm, I'm still doing it now, um, and that I still really <laughs> love it. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, I think now it's become kind of cool to be a chef, but you know that's not always been the case. It's not always been quite the celebrated career that um, it's now. That meant TV to... has made it. <laughs> yeah, the TV yeah. has made it. Yeah, you're right. No, it's quite interesting to see. Um, uh, how food and chefs have become, in some instances, uh, like celebrities. I mean, you know, the likes of Gordon Ramsay, Anthony Bourdain, Wolfgang Puck, um, to name but a few, um, David Chang. Um, you know, they're, um, even they are surprised, I guess, with what's happened with what they do. <laughs> Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your early days in the industry. You worked at Euro and SPQR. How was how was those days um, when you started out? Oh, they were pretty um, pretty different to what uh, the industry is like now. Um, well, yeah, SPQR was always fantastic. Always a great place, uh, great vibe, um, extremely busy. Mm. Um, uh, I did a few stints there over the years, actually, in and out. Um, Euro working for Simon Galt was pretty much the um, – he was the chef that taught me how to do great food fast. Um, 
when Euro first opened in 99, 2000, um, it, was, it was insane. We'd do three, um, three days on, three days off, two separate um, teams of seven chefs, and we'd do sort of 18 hours a day on those three days. Wow. And you'd uh, go out drinking every night afterwards and then <laughs> back into work. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, definitely a different different um, beast back then than hospitality is now. Um, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, they have what they call dry bars and dry uh, working environments where there's no alcohol tolerated whilst working, which I was very surprised to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for most of uh, I worked very briefly at a bar um, back when I was like seventeen or eighteen. No, of course I would have been over eighteen. I was back when I was about eighteen or nineteen, I think. Um, and yeah, alcohol is just like a huge part of the hospitality back end staffing. Uh, you know, seen like it's, yeah. I think it's something you need to get by <laughs> with all the crazy hours and <laughs> all that kind of physical labor that goes in. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot different now. Um, I help my friends uh, set up the kitchen. I set the kitchen up for um, Bedford Soda and Liquor in Ponsonby Central about six years ago. Mm. And that's where I first heard the term dry bar, which I was like, pardon? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> and they explained to me, I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> I'll just hide my beer. <laughs> so do you feel like the food scene in Auckland is getting more diverse since your early days at Euro? Like I feel having lived here in Auckland, gone back to India and come back, I feel like when I come back, you know, it's just much more diverse. We've gone from the generic kind of European restaurants, which was all that was used to be there, to people doing like very specific cuisines, which is not something that was the case back in even the early 2000s. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, the food scene in Auckland and New Zealand in general has taken off, really. Um, it's like you said, you find now that people are specializing in one or two or three things, and that's it. Um, they don't like, for instance, all the little dumpling places or noodle places um, that are popping up throughout mainly uh, what Dominion Road and um, <coughs> around there. Um, yeah, people yeah. specialising, bringing their little bit uh, of knowledge from their own countries, um, their own cultures. It's fantastic. Um, I mean, you can go and have real Mexican uh, you know, with homemade yeah. tortillas these days, and there's all those lovely little like uh, the but is it the beer spot where they have the various food caravans and food trucks turn up on uh, rotation where you can sample you know, mm. the best of um, fried chicken or, um, for instance, uh, the um, Māori food. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite diverse now. I mean, you can get hung down at, um, on the waterfront. <laughs> Yeah, not something you'd <laughs> you'd expect back in the early 2000s. I don't think it would no. be very accepted back then. Mm. And it's just great to see people also. I mean, one is that all this food is being cooked, but that people are just so much more open to eating those different things. I remember food courts of my teenage days, and it just used to be like, even if it was Indian, it was the same three or four things, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was every, everything, everything seemed to be very westernized, whereas uh, now I think um, people starting up something that is um, from their culture, they're uh, more likely to keep it 
as traditional as possible. So people, yeah. you know, Kiwis are getting to actually sample and taste the real um, flavors of that country, be it Indian or Chinese or South American, uh, yeah. instead of uh, being toned down, which is what we used to find with the very small amount of um, offerings way back. I remember the only Thai place yeah. 20 something years ago was Sawadee. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, so, that's yeah, true. That was the only place, and everything had a carrot and <laughs> in it. There was, you know, <laughs> um, there was nothing yeah. outside of that. Whereas now, there's you know, they're, they're, people are breaking it down, and it's it's great to see, and, and it's fantastic to be on the uh, to be able to sample these things. Yeah, definitely. So talking about different countries, I heard that you've lived in 80 countries. That's some serious amount of travel. Is uh, it? I mean, how do you how do how have you lived in so many places? How have you traveled to so many places? Well, actually, that was a misprint. I've visited about 86 countries in the world. I've probably lived in about 10. <laughs> okay. Well, but 86 so, countries is a lot of countries to visit. Yeah, I'll be very lucky, uh, peasant. Um, so, yeah, what, when I was 32, I um, left New Zealand and um, pursued a life on the sea. So, um, with that, um, that's how I, yeah, I, I began, began my tour of the world, really. Um, okay. And any favorites, any countries that have been your favorite places to visit that you've gone back to more than once? Oh, yes, very much so. Um, Mallorca is probably my favorite place in the world, uh, in the Balearic Islands. Oh, yes. Um, if I could, I'd be living there, <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I, uh, I mean, the Caribbean is beautiful to visit, South America, Um but yeah, I, I, I love, I love, um, I love Europe. Europe is, it's got so much culture, heritage, and um, just trying the food in those places is unreal. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. And just, I think in those places, um, the focus on the produce just really comes through in the food. Like you can taste that this is good quality food. Yeah, I mean, you go to Italy and. You've never tried a tomato until you've had a real tomato <laughs> from Italy, fresh from the market. <laughs> they just do. There's just certain things that they seem to have that, um, no matter how hard we try, and regardless if we even have the same seeds or whatever <laughs> to um, grow, it's just not. Some things are just not the same outside of those places where they originate from. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so do you feel travel has like really helped you as a chef, helped you in the kitchen in some in any way? Oh, most definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I've always pursued um, foods and ideas as a chef here in New Zealand, make creative menus and that sort of thing. But to actually visit the countries and immerse yourself in um, those foods that you've been looking at only from a, a book perspective, I guess, um, mm. years ago, to actually be in it and then talking to locals about it and seeing these things in the markets, the, the various ingredients, yeah, and just being there. Um, and you get a, a great sense of uh, where the food has come from and um, it's definitely developed the way that I think about food, uh, approach food these days. Um, for yeah, instance, I I, I think it's fishing. fascinating. Yeah, 
sorry, I was going to say that I think it's fascinating that, you know, we can now go and do these kind of like dining experiences or cooking classes when you're traveling. And certainly for me, when I'm planning out a trip, those are like the first things I look at. My food itinerary is planned out way before where I'm going <laughs> to stay or whatever. First things is like, where am I going to eat? <laughs> I could totally, uh, 100%. <laughs> Uh, agree with you on that. That's exactly what my holidays are based on. What do I? What can I eat? What is it uh, good for? And where do I need to go first? Um, yeah. <laughs> for instance, I wanted to learn how to do sushi, so I found a, a cooking. Well, it's not really cooking, is it? Sushi. Um, I found a school in Tokyo, and um, I spent three months there um, learning how to do sushi about eight or nine years ago. Um, just living in in Tokyo in a little box and um, just eating all things Japanese. It was fantastic. <laughs> and I think... Um, so just how St. Piers makes sushi then? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe slightly a little or bit. Or not. <laughs> but hey, actually, yeah, it's not too bad on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I shouldn't mock them because that's how I tried my first sushi, and um, yeah, obviously my our palate has evolved since then. But yeah, at least they brought it out to the general public. Yes, it's funny. Um, yeah, so the, the, how things get lost, and when you're like, I had no. For instance, I'll just use the sushi again for an example. As um, what we're used to is like very cold sushi, cold rice. Um, Everything like that. Whereas actually, when it's fresh, the rice is still warm. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah, and it's all—it's more about the rice than what, the topping is just second, actually, to the way that the Japanese think of it. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that's been my one problem with having sushi maybe in a fast foodie environment, but having ever had sushi for lunch, like I just hate it that it's always like freezing cold rice. Um, yeah. <laughs> because then I always feel like having something else which is warm for me to feel like I've had a complete meal. Yeah, exactly. But it's um, something, it's the way that food evolves when it leaves its uh, origins to make it accessible to the masses, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, I've been doing a bit of online digging, and I read that um, you cooked for Sir Richard Branson. Is this true? Uh, yes, this is true, actually. Um, that was some time ago. Oh, my ago. God. I'm, I'm a big fan <laughs> of him, so you need to tell me how that happened and um, what it was like. Okay, well, um, that was probably one of my very first jobs in yachting. Um, okay. just done uh, my first job, which was crossing the Atlantic Ocean from – um, Palma de Mallorca and uh, over to Antigua and uh, I was based in Antigua for about six months um, just doing little jobs here and there getting my getting my name out there basically as a chef because um, mm. uh, some 15 years ago you couldn't just um, walk up and say hi I'm a, I've been a head chef can I have a job because uh, they didn't really look at you unless you had some sort of uh, experience on yachts. So it was a catch-22. Mm. Couldn't get a job on it, but unless you had one. So um, I happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, Sir Richard's uh, boat chef at that particular time had gone AWOL. <laughs> and um, okay. I was in the area and got a phone call from uh, – they have a lot of agencies around the world who look after you for shipping. And got a call and went down and – Met the captain, um, 
And then um, from there we went. I didn't know who was actually the um, client at that time. It was just um, you, you don't get told until you're actually taken on board. Um, right. Once they'd said that they were happy with my credentials, then I found out it was Sir Richard Branson. And we headed down to Trinidad where we picked him up for um, Carnival. And that was, yeah, <laughs> he's a great guy. We got, you know, the whole family on board uh, for about three months. Um, his son and daughter. And, yeah, a lot of um, parties, a lot of uh, nice guests. Mm. Um, yeah, so very generous man. Um, likes to entertain. Um, very competitive, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> very much the highlight of my career. Um, having because his daughter's friends with uh, Prince William, so had Prince yeah. William and Kate Middleton on board for lunch. Oh, so okay. yeah, that was that was quite interesting. He was a really great guy. Okay, and does he just eat regular food like us regular folks? <laughs> Did you cook him anything special? Any anything memorable? Okay, so his one his one little, I guess it's a curiosity or a thing is that um, every morning it's porridge with grated apple oh, okay. and uh, fresh blueberries, but it has to be cooked with Perrier. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, mm. so it's always a Perrier water. Now, I was going to say that I shouldn't mock my son who insists on having porridge every day. I mean, if Richard Branson's doing it, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, he's very healthy, very fit, plays tennis every day, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, he loves all sorts of foods. Um, yeah, it was it was good fun working, working for him. Um, yeah, well, I met one of my best mates actually on his boat. So um, he used to play tennis with him every morning and whip his ass, part of my French, and just would never let him win. <laughs> <laughs> so having cooked for you know on yachts and worked with um having had such kind of rich clients or, or clients in high places has there been has that influenced your cooking in some way or do you have any learnings from that that you could share with us yeah it definitely influenced my cooking um personally because when you're working without any restrictions i mean restaurants you've got a bottom end and you've got um food costs to meet. Uh, in this lifestyle, when you're literally cooking for the 1% of our world, <laughs> um, there's no mm. restrictions. You know, um, fly food in from anywhere that they uh, require it. I was working for um, a Kazakhstani family um, who were in oil, and uh, they wanted a sushi party when we arrived in Crete. And we were two or three days out from being there. And... Um, uh, that's what they wanted, so I had to organise my supplies, and it was about a twenty thousand euro bill for fresh fish to get flown wow. from England to Crete for twenty people. <laughs> <laughs> for twenty people, Holy. yeah, yeah, because you know you're paying yeah just huge amounts of money, and this yeah this money is no object in that in that lifestyle. Um, it is actually very overwhelming to begin with. Then you become used to it. Uh, I mm. dare say, become a little bit blasé about it, <laughs> uh, but it is yeah. it's fantastic. I mean, you know, you can get you know things like Maine lobster or fresh king crab in from Japan. Uh, there's no there's no barriers. Uh, that was probably the most exciting thing, I guess. Um, going to these different countries um, and flying food in from wherever they wanted it. I remember one of the particulars is thousand know, dollars for a kilo of tuna. 
by the time Whoa. it got sent um, through the various channels and the actual cost of it. Yeah. So, yeah, very, very, uh, very different. <laughs> yeah, and but I think it's amazing, right, like as a chef to have the opportunity to cook with all these great ingredients that otherwise you wouldn't be able to access um yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to be able to try those foods out and potentially even makes you cognizant of how, I mean, you know, to not waste that food and just treat it with respect and so on. Yeah, I mean, having the accessibility of such um, premium product, definitely, um, it makes, if anything, it makes your cooking easier because you know you've already started with um, with something that is above regular um, sample um, you know that you get so as long as you can mm. you treat it with like you said respect then um, you really can't go wrong <laughs> yeah so you did all this great stuff on yachts so how did you come across this idea of doing smoked and barbecue meat as the next thing that you wanted to do well uh, as you know in New Zealand we predominantly we do we, we're all brought up with smoked fish in our diet, mm. pretty much. I know, I love it. Um, so I've always smoked fish and other uh, bits and pieces. Uh, so it's always been something I enjoy. Um, I um, happened to work for a guy about three or so years ago uh, who was setting up a place um, down in uh, Hastings. And he was an old friend. And um, I went to work for him to help him out. Um, and he's the one who taught me um, how to use an offset pit smoker. Um, so that was where the next sort of interest, I mean, I saw it on TV, you know, the various barbecue pit master shows and that kind of stuff on Netflix. Um, but that's where I learned it, and that's where I got the in inspiration for it. So I worked for him for about three months or so, and then went back to yachting. Um, yeah, and then... About two years ago, I um, went. I was working for a client in Japan on his yacht, and then um, was going to work for him at his home in uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and long story short, was that fell through after three days of landing there. Um, <clears throat> I ended up decided, well, I'm in America, um, the home of barbecue, <laughs> low and slow. Um, so I bought a motorbike and decided I would investigate barbecue on my own and rode from South Carolina to California over four months, uh, wow. eating barbecue, um, testing it, and yeah. So I did 14 states on my motorbike, and seven and a half thousand miles later, um, yeah, that little trip. And how many how many barbecues did you try out? <laughs> you, said, you said seven and a half thousand miles. How yep. many how many meals and meats did you try out while you were there? <laughs> or should a we lot. not talk about that? <laughs> a lot. Yes, I got a lot of stick that I was going to be uh, somewhat overweight, and that's being polite <laughs> with some of the comments <laughs> I was given. Um, yeah, that no, was pretty amazing. Um, I actually did have to stop eating so much because <laughs> uh, I couldn't be the quintessential um, middle-aged guy on a Harley with a big tummy. <laughs> <laughs> But um, you know, it was it was eye opener for me, um, and it really did fuel my um, the inspiration for what is now smoking coal barbecue. 
Um, and yeah, I didn't. Uh, it's nothing. I, I didn't set out to have the barbecue restaurant now, or it's just sort of something that sat in the back of my head. And coming back to New Zealand last year, sort of things just fell into place um, that I couldn't ignore. And um, Smoking Cold Barbecue was born on the first of December, twenty nineteen. Awesome. And in that short period, your Memphis ribs have earned the reputation of being one of the best ribs in Auckland. So that's quite an achievement. And I mean, how does, is that, what's that feeling like to, you know, be so new to the market and have your food be so appreciated? It's been pretty overwhelming, if I'm honest. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I just did this because it's something that I wanted to do for me. Um, and as mm. I said, it was these sort of little things fell into place. Um, the actual place that I'm uh, situated in, that kind of came about by sheer accident. The, the smoker came about by sheer accident. Yeah, so I didn't expect such a um, such a big response, <laughs> I guess, for what I was doing. Um, but it's been great. Uh, and I've definitely got different ribs from December than I do now. <laughs> when I was first um, <laughs> trialing things. <laughs> yeah. um, but I didn't know that uh, idea. It's, that's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's nice that's, to know. It's, it is. It's yeah. <laughs> and that's the great thing about food, right? Like every day is a new day. You can just keep taking that feedback and improving on what you're cooking. And yes. um, I love that about food as a product as compared to, I don't know, you know light bulbs or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, food. Sorry, is... light bulbs is the first thing that came to my mind because <laughs> my room's gotten quite dark. So it's like I just actually I flipped on my lights as well. <laughs> um, well, I mean, that's the thing. Um, for me, it's, I've, I mean, I've set up several restaurants for other people over the years, um, and I always take it as, um, even though it's not my hasn't wasn't my place then, it's always been my name as far as I'm concerned about the food. So it's always had to be the best that I could possibly put out. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. Um, you know, so mm. trial and error is great, but you've got to make sure that you get on top of things quickly. Uh, to you know, because <clears throat> people are fickle with flavors and tastes, mm. and if you if you're getting it a little bit off, it's okay, but not for too long. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, I've I've been lucky. My mates have been <laughs> great experimentation <laughs> uh, to yeah. get the things correct. Uh, yeah. Cool. No, it's... So would it be fair to say that smoking call is all about the meat? Like, is it politically correct now to even launch just a meat restaurant at a time when you know people are doing meatless Monday and <laughs> red meat is getting such a bad rap? <laughs> I'm always uh, being made like I always feel so guilty nowadays to, like, to have, have red meat. I have, I, have, I have zero guilt about eating meat. <laughs> um, you know, you've got pescatarians. I feel more guilty about raping our um, seabeds um, of fish and and whatnot than I do about um, eating red meat. Um, look, is it all about meat? No, because I enjoy my vegetables as much as I do my meats, and I think they complement each, mm. each other. Um, you know, to each their own at the end of the day. Um, funnily enough, I have a lot of vegetarians come in, vegans. Um, and it's one thing I am progressively trying to introduce more because for me, um, 
I can't just cook the same thing day in, day out. So expanding on various cuisines, um, flavored profiles, and different foods is, you know, to me, that's the, uh, the essence of cooking. And um, so on our menu, we have, you know, we have truffle mac and cheese, smoked cauliflower, truffle cheese. Um, vegan, not going to happen. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, vegetarian most certainly. Um, but you know, I love ch- cream and cheese and butter far too much to take them out of my <laughs> diet. Um, yeah, when I used to work for a caterer, like early when I graduated, um, and these were the early days of veganism. To be fair, and we'd do conferences, and I'd be like, you know, there's these two vegan folks. We need to come up with a menu for them, and he'd just be like, yeah, fruit skewers. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't give them fruit skewers <laughs> for all three meals of the day. Like, you have to come up with something. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, um, vegan difficult. foods come I mean, on come away has. since then, but yes. um. Yeah, I find it very challenging. I've, I can happily cook vegetarian food, but I, quite, I find it quite challenging to cook um, cook vegan. Well, actually, um, so did I until uh, about this time last year. I had a, a client, um, an actor, who was here doing a series, um, and he was vegan. And not only vegan, he had many different allergies and um, uh, thoughts on how food should be prepared. Should I say? That'd be the nice mm. way to put it. Um, yep. So that was a challenge, but I found my way around it. And there's just so many great products out there now, which are actually tasty. Um, and um, I was actually very surprised. But, um, you know, I have jackfruit on my menu, uh, which is actually that is – I mean, if you were going to be vegan, you could come in and eat that. <laughs> and, uh, and it's actually pretty good. When I tried it, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I was surprised because um, mm. I'd never heard about it. but. No, it's definitely not all about the meat. Um, I'm going to introduce fish onto the menu as soon as I can um, get get some more staff because I do all the cooking um, and my staff help me plate it up. But um, no, it's definitely not just about meat because, I mean, smoke is fantastic on tomatoes or uh, mushrooms, yeah. for instance, courgettes. And then, you know, there's so many different ways you can apply it, hot or cold. Um, so... You know, it's a work in progress. Um, I was doing some olives up for one of my friends for her bar, um, mm-hmm. smoked olives for their martinis um, okay. for Ruth at uh, Moe's Bar downtown. So something that I tried in San Francisco, actually. And I was like, why have I never tried this? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so now it's just like throw everything in the smoker and see what comes out and tastes good and if it's something that people probably would um, enjoy. Cool. So – um, being Indian, I'm quite new to smoking. I mean, in India, typically we only really use coal to smoke, like a curry, or you know, cook um, charcoal, uh, cook with charcoal for like tandoori and stuff like that. Right. But what would be some tips that you could share around smoking if someone wanted to try it out in their kitchen? Uh, ooh, right. Well, that's a good one. I mean, what we used to do. I mean, suppose for anyone at home, there's so many different smokers and barbecues available these days um there's so many great online um uh what do you call them um pages through facebook um meat mafia collective um beef beers and barbecue is another one uh, which all these guys there's so many guys that there's um also barbecue alliance new zealand um okay. 
So there's this, yeah, there's all these different platforms that you can find out about all the home style of uh, barbecuing. Um, it's not something, to be honest, that I've um, had much to do with because being on yachts, you can't have um, <laughs> open fires, unfortunately. So, um, and that was, yeah. So, uh, tips for at home. I mean, there's commodities, charcoal to use. Um, you know, I guess grab a Weber. Um, look things up online. Um, mm-hmm. Check out the different methods of um, laying charcoal beads and all that kind of thing. Um, and just just be prepared to fail. I guess it's probably, you know it's. Uh, I remember cooking brisket and just thinking, "What if I? What is this? It's like a boot." <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there's um, a fantastic podcast actually um, called Barbecue Base, and uh, there's some guys who really know their thing, um, Noel and Alex, and um, they give great advice. Better so than I am giving right now. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe I'll have them on the show then. <laughs> I tell you what, they'll be worth it. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, I do things in a commercial sized mm. cooking. But I mean, at of the course, end of the day, yeah. I mean, you know, those little little stainless steel smokers—they're brilliant. I mean, give those a go. I mean, you, you know, you brine up some fish, um, like pop them on, and hot smoke quickly. Um, mm. Yeah, if you're interested in something, just uh, yeah, just get online and have a look because there's lots of information there. And it's uh, and every, yeah. the barbecue community is really helpful. Um, I've been really overwhelmed with uh, the support and help uh, that these guys and their families give free of their time. You know, it's unreal. Yeah. So, just a final question: Would you say that low and slow is your preferred way of cooking now? Oh, that's good. Yes, probably. No, I well. See, being a chef, it's a, <laughs> I just a big contradiction there, wasn't it? <laughs> Putting you on the spot there. <laughs> yeah. um, for, for me, um, this is just another medium for for me as a chef for mm. cooking. Um, another way yeah. to discover what I can do with it. Um, but I mean, I still love an open grill with a hot steak, you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Smoke, but I love smoke. I've always loved smoking foods you know you can cold smoke garlic and butter and so yeah low and slow definitely um it's one of my favorite ways to do it it's just very uh, satisfying i guess to see what happens yeah um you know with when you put something in there i think with meats later, especially you can't go wrong like if you're doing low and slow or maybe you no. can i don't know i haven't tried i've tried a few low and slow cooking at least like in my slow cooker so right. nothing too fancy, but it always, um, you know, if you like that kind of tender fall apart meat, that always comes out quite well. Yeah, well, I when you cook same, with that technique, yeah, it's the same, uh, same idea, just in a different, different way. Uh, you know, so yeah. it's funny because all these low and slow now has um, is really starting to catch on in New Zealand, in particular, and mm. Australia with the meat stocks yeah. that we've had here over the last three years, I believe. And um, all those cheap cuts <laughs> aren't so cheap anymore. <laughs> and yeah. then, you know, chefs have a bad rep for um, making things go <laughs> go, go <up> price. <laughs> cool. So just to finish off, we have a fast food five section where I ask you five questions about food. 
Okay. Okay. So are you ready? <laughs> First thing that comes to your mind, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. If you were a vegetable, which one would you be? Broccoli. Broccoli. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> you can, it's beautiful cold. I mean, it can you charred soup. Yep. You know? Yeah, that's true. My son has it raw, by the way. Exactly. He goes to calm down and just picks it up and starts nibbling on it. And I have to hold him back. I'm like, do not nibble till we pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Your guilty pleasure when it comes to food. Oh. I guess oh, fresh bread and butter. <laughs> oh, yes. Nothing and to beat fresh bread, eh? No. Fresh bread and butter. Doesn't matter what sort of bread, long as it's crusty and like massive lashings of butter. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love butter. I love bread and especially like home baked bread. I've yes. started baking bread again at home for the past year or so and just now when I have the supermarket stuff. I don't know, it just tastes totally different. I can't yeah. have it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay. Would you rather give up salt or give up sugar? Sugar. Hands down. Sugar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a savory, savory guy. Uh, I do. It's funny. Okay. I've gotten older. My sweet tooth is developing, but um, no, sugar. I could probably do without. <laughs> okay. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Your favorite meal of the day? Oof. Probably lunch. Yeah. Lunch. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. the first guy to say lunch, so I'm going to ask you why. Um, <laughs> a rosé long lunch, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah. because you cook, you do all your cooking early in the morning, right? So you, maybe you don't have much to do around lunchtime. Is that true? <laughs> uh, no, I don't do breakfast. I haven't eaten breakfast in probably, I don't know, gosh, over a decade or more. Uh, lunch okay. um, with yachting was always when we all got together. It just means you can go out and you can have, a, yeah, we'd have five or six hour lunches. And yeah, you can eat and drink and chat, and then it's like perfect. <laughs> nice. Okay, so I think the last one's going to be hard. Okay. Um, and I just thought about it now, so I changed it and made the last one harder. <laughs> okay. <laughs> would you choose bikes or you would choose meat if Ooh. you had to make the choice? <laughs> bikes or meat? That's 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 not very nice. That's that's unfair. <laughs> um. <laughs> Oh, jeepers. Mm. No, you don't need to choose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling bad now. <laughs> no, I don't feel bad. That's, you know, but I, well, you know, I can't live with that. I couldn't live with that with either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you said to me fish oh. or bikes, I'd be like, I can't bike. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. That's fine. That's a good enough compromise. We can do fish or bikes. <laughs> <laughs> cool well thank you so much Croydon for coming on the show it's been lovely I've loved um, our chat and just talking about food in general and um, I'm definitely going to put in some links for Smoking Call into the show notes so everyone can come try your Memphis, Memphis ribs um, yeah and good luck with everything thank you very much person it was a pleasure um, being on the show uh, again uh, something that was unexpected so um yeah, that's great. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you and sharing what little bit of knowledge I've managed to pass on. 
Cool. And if you um, stop by Sir Richard Branson, tell him I said hi. <laughs> Will do. You have a lovely evening. <laughs> All right. Take care. Bye, Corden. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Kiwi Foodcast, brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Be sure to listen in next time for another helping of Kiwi Food Stories.